Uh, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode. Today we've got our first guest on. It is Rowena Henderson, aka Mum. You know, my mum. Um, so we've got. There's a pretty good reason why she's on today. Basically, she's a. Um, I'll ask her to go into it, but she's a counsellor. Um, so we'll go through sort of a mental health series um, on, you know, pretty much everything to do with mental health, like de- uh, depression, anxiety, you know, fuck, I don't know, eating disorders, bullshit like that. Um, so I'll just ask her to sort of um, go into her background in working in mental health over the last, what, 30 odd years um, and, uh, yeah, go into it. Okay, so... I graduated um, 30 years ago this year, um, and my background is that I've got a bachelor's degree in social work. So I worked, I've worked with pretty much with adults and children who have been sort of deemed to be at risk my whole career. But the last seven or eight years, I've worked in private practice, specifically providing therapy to um, you know people of all ages, children, adolescents, adults. Um, mostly who have experienced some degree of um, trauma in their backgrounds, but also, um, or, or recently, or but also um, just generally um, mental health concerns, things that have worried people, things that get in the way of people being able to enjoy their lives, etc., etc. So um, obviously, you know, I've, I've had a lot of training over the years. Um, I keep very up to date with training because it's a rapidly, um, you know, researched area. Uh, there's monumental things that are happening in the treatment of trauma at the moment, but also, um, you know, in and around anxiety and depression, particularly for young people. So that's sort of my background. Yeah. So um, over the last few years, basically, I reckon as as we've all grown up, because most of the people who listen to this podcast, right, are like you know, 19, 20 years old. Um, I, I don't get, I don't care what anyone says. Everyone goes through shit times. eh? So, um, you know, I've had plenty of shit days, but what is sort of the difference between just having shit days and how many bad days sort of add up to when you can start saying that someone has like a tendency to possibly have depression or be depressed. So I think probably my feeling about that is, is that, um, people who find that their mood, so whether they're feeling very fearful, um, which is pretty much anxiety, or whether they're feeling very low and unmotivated, which we would talk about being um, depression, when their mood starts to really interrupt um, the way they function. So it's actually really difficult to tell that when you're a student because a lot of um, what you're asked to do over your day is you're asked to attend lectures if you're at uni, um, or if you're at TAFE, you're asked to attend lectures if you're at school, still at school you're asked to attend lessons um, and it's actually a lot of your day is really well organized so it's really difficult to identify that your mood might not be great but you know you're still going to school you're still going to uni you're still going to TAFE you might still be going to work as well but it's when you start avoiding doing things that ordinarily you would like to be doing because you're either too fearful of doing them or you just lack the motivation you maybe want to stay in bed you may be just feeling as though you can't be around people um, that's not always a problem, by the way, but it can be. So it's probably a good one to actually take note of. Yeah. So for example, like you would start to say, if I, for whatever reason, like, you know, me better than anyone, right? If I sort of stopped going to the gym for a period of time, you would start to say, well, Fionn probably has a bit of an issue. Yep. 
I, I would say, I mean, a, a really critical thing to notice with anybody is changes in that person. It's actually really, really difficult to tell, um, you know, to, to, to use a universal measure across a whole group of people as to what is concerning. The best way um, to look at it is look at that individual person, look at what is normal for them. And I use normal to some, with some degree of trepidation because normal can mean a lot of things. But what is average for that person? Um, and then if there's changes to, what, to the way that person normally is or on an average day is, then we would start to look because changes are a really good indicator that something is not quite right for that person. So, for example, for you, um, if you um, stop going to the gym, you didn't feel motivated about it, um, you know, um, on an ongoing basis, not just one day or maybe even two, but maybe if that extended, yes, that's the kind of thing I'd be sort of saying, listen, something's not quite right. Um, this is a big change for him. Yeah. So for example, right. So what would be sort of the difference between basically the main two trigger words when everyone talks about quote unquote mental health Everyone sort of talks about depression and anxiety as the two biggest ones sort of ever really. So what is the main difference between depression and anxiety? Okay, so so this is a really, really interesting one because you're right. Everybody talks about anxiety and depression. And oftentimes what we notice is anxiety and depression are co-diagnosed, which means that they're diagnosed together. So I will often have, um, you know, maybe a doctor will refer somebody for anxiety and depression or somebody will phone up and say, listen, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Now, the difference being is what we have to remember is anxiety at a very high level can look like depression because somebody that's very anxious has a lot of fear. Um, and the important thing to remember is you can have fear where there's no danger. You can have a fear of something where there is no danger of ever, ever happening, but the fear can cripple you. So sometimes you would avoid doing something and people would look at that person and say they're avoiding whatever it might be. They're avoiding going to uni or they're avoiding going to school or whatever it might be. They must be depressed. But in actual fact, high, high levels of anxiety. So avoiding something that makes you paralyzed with fear looks the same as depression, which is a lack of motivation. They're two quite different things. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so basically what would you say comes first? So if they're co-diagnosed, mm -hmm. what comes first? Would you say, would you say if someone is like, would they be have anxiety or depression first? To be honest with you, they come from a really different space. So what I would say is um, anxiety um, is, is, is more common than depression. Um, I see far more anxious people than I do clinically depressed people. So what I would say is it's really, really difficult because they can look so similar, but anxiety is very much a fear-based response. People your age, people uh, in their late teens, early 20s are really, and, and even school students are really at risk of anxiety these days because what happens is that there's a huge amount of exposure to really difficult information that even adults, um, you know, older adults would have difficulty coping with, and yet young people are exposed to a lot of that. Yeah. So if, if anxiety is more prevalent, um, what exactly, what, what do you think it'd be um, sort of the, the signs of anxiety? Because like, for example, like before rugby games, I used to get nervous as shit just because I knew my workload was going to have to be big, but I would never say that I actually got anxious about it to the point of, you know, a quote unquote anxiety at attack or so. So what would you say is the difference between being nervous and being anxious? And also what sort of, what are the, 
um, like the physical and mental, I guess, um, implications of being anxious in a certain, like an acute way. So a certain situation. Okay. So for me, um, the one, the big A word around anxiety, anxiety being an A word, the big A word is avoidance. If somebody starts to avoid something on the basis because their fear is so significant, i.e. if their fear of, of um, dealing with the situation becomes greater than their desires to, uh, to desire for success to achieve it, if you want to put it that way, um, then I start looking at whether or not we're dealing with somebody who has significant anxiety. It can affect maybe only one aspect of their life, but ordinarily, unfortunately, um, fear and anxiety are like a, a plant. They grow the more attention you pay to them, which is really, really difficult. So the more you worry about failure, the more it, it is likely to extend into other aspects of your life. So what becomes a school-based for anxiety, for example, can unfortunately extend into other aspects of your life. So, you know, I think for me, the avoidance bit is, is a symptom that I, looked, I, I really look at. To what extent is this person avoiding doing certain things that in an ideal world they'd love to be doing, but they're avoiding it because they have such significant fear yeah and then also so what would for example when someone gets so anxious they're in such an uncomfortable situation what would something like an anxiety attack look like so you know um if we talk without wanting to bore everybody because i'm sure everybody is not as interested as i am in the neurobiology of of, of the fear-based reaction fear is effectively um processed in part of, or experienced in part of the brain that is responsible for survival so it's our most basic instinct is to respond to a sense of fear um or a sense of danger i should i should say Fear is, you can have fear where there's no danger, but the response in the brain is the same. So if you have fear, you're going to respond almost like you're in danger, even if you're not, if that makes sense. And maybe in future um, podcasts, I can go into that a little bit more if anybody's remotely interested in hearing sort of like a simple version of the way that looks. So when somebody becomes very elevated, if you think of yourself being in a very, very dangerous situation, what starts to happen? Your body starts to get ready for fighting off danger. So your heart rate will increase. You'll probably start sweating. Um, you'll start, you might get goosebumps, you know, all of those reactions. If anybody's had a fright, you know, maybe somebody coming up quickly behind them, feeling as though someone's following them in the dark, you'll know the signs that you're starting. You'll feel as though you're in danger. You're, you're on alert, ready to fight. So the thing is what a panic attack or an anxiety attack or whatever you want to talk about, um, that is somebody having that elevated reaction where there is no danger. Nobody is going to actually look at somebody who has that kind of panic attack in a dangerous situation. We'd say, oh, they're in danger. Of course, they're going to be hyper alert, hyper vigilant, trying to get out of that situation. But it's when someone has that elevated reaction in, in, an, in really a, a perfectly safe situation, but that fear triggers that reaction. Something bad's just about to happen. Get ready. It's that kind of thing. So that's what a panic attack would look like. So someone having a panic attack is going to have exactly the same kinds of reactions as somebody who's literally in a dangerous situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, you sort of mentioned the difference between being in fear and like fear having no, there's no danger of a consequence. So like, for example, would you call someone getting really nervous before they do look skydiving? Like that, that, I don't care what anyone says as safe as it may be in 2018, it's still a fucking dangerous task. So would you consider that an, uh, sorry, a panic attack or an anxiety attack 
Like, or would you just call that just a normal human response and what's the difference? Okay, so I would call that an absolutely normal human response because the reality is is that skydiving, everybody would say that if that skydiving goes wrong, you are probably going to plummet to your death. Do you know what I mean? So that is a totally natural kind of reaction. I think, so. I think what's really, really important here is that we're able to actually use some consequence as well and to, uh, sorry, some context and if we look at the context of somebody jumping out of a plane with a parachute versus somebody, um, for example, um, speaking in front of a crowd, do you know? So if we look at both of those, what is the single difference between both of those? Unless there's somebody dangerous in the crowd who's likely to pull a gun and shoot you, which is not a great thought, but let's be honest, you know, maybe, maybe somebody would be fearful of that. Unless that were to happen, what we've got is speaking in front of a crowd does not have the same level of danger as jumping out of a plane with a parachute, do you know? So, so in that kind of situation, we have to use a little bit, I don't like using common sense, um, like using the term common sense, but it is a little bit about that. Look at the context. Is there any danger? There is danger with skydiving. Speaking in front of a crowd, unless, as I said, you know, somebody's going to pull a gun on you, um, it, it, is, it doesn't carry the same level of, of danger. Yeah, I guess, um, like I'm, I guess I've never had a, obviously I do a fucking podcast, so I don't really have a fear of something like public speaking, but I'm terrified of heights. So like for me, especially during school camps and shit like that, I remember doing jump, we had to do this exercise. I was talking to you the, the other day about this. Um, we had to like jump off ledges and we were in a harness and I sort of thought to my, like looking back on it, I got like so scared doing that because it's not that falling feeling is not something I enjoy. Like I don't enjoy that, like that adrenaline flowing through me. So um, I want to sort of change gears and make this more time relevant. So in terms of depression and anxiety, what have you seen, especially in your, obviously like you can't go into names or anything like that, but maybe you could use, use some generic examples where, what have you seen the impact of, being so, I guess, connected without being connected in the mode of social media in terms of increasing um, the anxiety, you know, the fear of missing out and things like that, especially in, you know, younger teenagers and young adults and even older adults as well. But especially um, you hear about it sort of in the mainstream media, which is, you know, we've already discussed this in the past. I think mainstream media is bullshit. I think at least 50% of what we hear is not true at all. And, you know, I think 90% of the stuff going on, we have no idea what's going on. But that's a different topic for a different time. But what do you see as the social media sort of impact on mental health, especially of young people, if we narrow it down to the shortest bit? Okay. So, um, so in, in, simple, in simple terms, what we have to take into consideration is, um, you know, developmental stages neurobiologically, so where your brain's up to. An adult brain, and I mean a mature adult brain, I'm not talking about an adult brain of a 19-year-old because that is not the same thing, particularly with men. Your, your brain is not fully matured and finished growing until late 20s and, and women early 20s. That's our current belief. Um, however, when you actually expose a young person to, to um, a lot of information, some of which can be quite disturbing, and I'm not talking necessarily about images, I'm talking about emotional content, where people are very distressed, where people are talking about, um, there could be a bullying aspect to it, where people are sharing their stories. What we have is we've got, particularly if you're talking about young teens, we're talking about young teens who are only just getting a sense of the way the world is, they're just probably 
probably moving away from the, the um, you know, hopefully they've, they've grown up in a safe environment with, with um, in their family home, but they're moving away from the safety of their family home and then suddenly there's all of this content and information that they're exposed to. No matter how hard we try, our brains, are part, there's a part of our brain that reacts to distressing content even if we understand why it's there. So for me, it's a really, really big deal. It's not about teaching kids how to react. It's about protecting kids from certain aspects of the content of what's available through social media, if that makes sense. It's a very difficult task. Yeah, and I guess it's, um, I guess it's something that's become more... Like, so, like, how old is you know, Facebook, Instagram, I think Instagram is only about five years old, you know, some bullshit, like Mm. it's less than 10 years old or Mm. in the mainstream. And I guess with, um, just like, I hate you. I fucking, you know, this, I hate using the word influencer for people who have a big social media following, but we look at, you know, the kids who are looking at the internet these days, man, they're like, you know, there's kids as lo- as young as like seven years old subscribing to YouTube channels and like idolizing these people. Like, you know, I like freaking like a rugby player would idolize someone like Richie McCaw. You know, there's pe- there's kids who idolize like Logan Paul, Jake Paul. You know, mm-hmm. and you know this comes at a point in time where you know Logan Paul's been like had, had his ass ripped off because um, he recorded in that suicide forest mm-hmm. in Japan. You heard about that? Yeah. Um, and you know, quite right. Like, really, I didn't have a problem with so much that he um, that he recorded it. It was more so that at no point in time did he have the conscious t- conscience to think that this probably isn't a good idea. Mm. You know, mm. that it probably is going to be an insensitive thing. Mm. So, like, where do you? And also, these are young guys. These are like Logan Paul's like twenty two years yeah. old. Yeah. Like, in a way, it kind of. You sort of think to yourself, geez, it's it's pretty rough to be ripping this guy so hard, but like looking at his personality, look, I'm not like I'm not a counselor like you or a mental health specialist, but like it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to know that this guy is like a class A narcissist. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about someone who like shows off his Rolexes, shows off, you know, his six and a half million dollar house. He even said in a video, I had to do some research for this and the, I only watched one video and he was like, I bought a house for six and a half million dollars. You know, we're not talking about like regular, you know, I work a nine to five job um, and have a good family at home people here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like serious narcissists who, you know, that's why I I would, I I don't want that YouTube life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to put a camera in my face because I just think that like, like for example, even this podcast is a push. Like why the fuck would anyone want to watch me? Like just watch my face do shit for 20 minutes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So looking at that, what do you think, like how, apart from you, apart from YouTube and podcasts and Instagram and stuff, changing how they operate their platform, what is the solution for Pete? For, for example, let's take a 14 year old kid, 14 year old girl. Um, you know, she watches fucking Jake Paul or some loser like that and thinks to herself, um, that because she doesn't have, you know, you know, have the Rolex watches, have the six and a half million dollar house. She starts getting insecure about herself. Mm. How do you, like, how do you solve that issue Mm. in terms of like, is it YouTube's fault? Is it Logan Paul's fault? Mm. Is it the parents fault Mm. for letting her have the, like Mm. being able to watch YouTube? Mm. Um, Or is it, 
well, it's probably not her fault. She's only 14 years mm. old, but whose fault is it and how do you rectify the issue? Okay, so so for me, um, so we, we can't punish young people by taking all social media off them, no matter how much as a therapist I'd quite like that. That's the kind of stuff, not, not in every situation, um, but that's the kind of stuff with my adult clients who are struggling with Facebook, and many of them are. Um, I can quite easily say to an adult, listen, can you come off Facebook? Um, would you think about it? They come off Facebook and they basically say, my anxiety has decreased so significantly, I'm not going to go back on it. So that's something that an adult will do. But for a young person, it's so much part of, particularly the young teens now, it's become part of the way they operate. So the last thing we want to do is to isolate young teens away, making them want a different... No kid wants to be different to everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Already, some kids already feel different. The last thing you want is a parentally, um, you know, sort of dictated, um, you know, making that child feel different to somebody else. However, the for me, the greatest, um, and this is a parent responsibility, it's not a parent's fault, but it's a parent's responsibility um, to do lots and lots and lots of helping that child to understand that they, um, the things that are important is the person that they are, the parents um, telling the child that they're proud of them, spending time with the child. It's not all about words, it's about actions, being there for the child, allowing that child to develop as a human being, encouraging that child to become an individual, um, encouraging that child to challenge some of the stuff that they see that they don't like, um, being there for the child. You sort of can't get away from that. So if your child is hugely exposed to social media they're spending a lot of time on social media try and I know you know most of your listeners probably don't have kids at this stage but the best advice that I can give is that parents just do a lot of that affirming so if you're not if you're not a parent but maybe you've got friends that have well, fallen yeah they're, they're going to yeah, be parents they're going to be future. parents yeah, yeah. In, in the next 20 years exactly. or so it's very or likely they're going to be parents. or maybe you yeah. have younger siblings maybe you know um you've got friends that you might even have a same age friend um just do a lot of affirming if stuff comes up on social media and that person talks about being insecure about something contradict it just basically say listen um i actually don't agree with that like i think you do a great job you shouldn't compare yourself with logan paul you know he's made a platform he's he was in the right place at the right time if you want to look at it that way and he's made a lot of money off it good luck to him however don't compare yourself to logan paul do you know that's not fair you're an individual in your own right you know so i think it's just that counter i would always say just counter it a little bit you know put something in the other side to make that balanced for that child you know or that young person really yeah. balance it up yeah because like look i'm going to be honest as someone who's 19 it's and someone who wants to be like wants to have you know financial security overall be happy and shit like that it is pretty it's pretty easy to look at someone like logan paul and think jesus christ this kid's balling you know what i mean like straight up like if you're 22 years old and you're living in a six and a half million dollar house you know driving lambos like it's nothing else like i think that's why so many people um like you know i'm a, I'm a mad conor mcgregor fan mm. but i feel like with conor i sort of like the reason why i liked so, conor so much was i liked the rise do you know what I mean? I liked the guy on social welfare who said exactly what he was going to do and then went out and did it. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Connor, the, you know, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Versace, you know, um, in other words, like, to be honest, Connor's come to a point where he's effectively the Floyd Mayweather of MMA. Mm. Um, and I'd say Connor's probably one of the quote unquote most influential people Mm. in the world to young people. Same with someone like the rock, you know, but the rock, is obviously much older and 
The Rock's just a cool motherfucker, isn't mm. he? Like, he's just a cool mm. dude. Um, but I think basically what I wanted to go into more is um, what a... I guess it's it's always going to be a case-by-case thing, especially with something like depression or anxiety. We, you know, I'm, I know we said depression and anxiety a lot, but they are pretty much the topic of the podcast. Mm. So, um, But I hate repeating myself, you know what I mean? I'd rather mm. use some synonyms, but they're really... Because they're proper nouns, you can't really mm. use synonyms. Mm. Um, what are the sort of, I guess, the risk factors mm. for someone who could possibly be looking at having... Uh, at developing... Um, anxiety and depression. Is there a particular gender? Oh, fuck. Am I allowed to say that in 2018? Am I allowed to say gender or is everyone, is everyone non-binary now? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to say gender. Yeah. I hope you all know what I'm talking about here. Um, so what's a, is there a particular gender, a particular age, a particular occupation as well, mm. nationalities? What are the kind of statistics around mental health? And then even to a more extreme extent, what are the statistics for suicide? Sure. Um, and, you know, obviously the gender, age, um, nationality, et cetera. Sure. So I think probably, um, you know, statistics I probably can't, but I'd need to do to get, yeah, to get you, the statistics you know I mean. out. Yeah, but generally, I mean. yeah. if I do general, general trends, um, everyone will have seen, that men are at a higher risk um, in terms of suicidality than women um, and obviously young men. Young men are not the highest though, like um, you know, older men are actually higher than younger men. However, men in general. So if I can just make a comment probably, um, you know, um, what I, I think, and I'm speaking from a professional experience here, this is not an area that I've seen hugely researched in um, in all of my studies that I've done. And I, you know, I do keep very up to date with, um, with all the recent research. Um, I believe, I strongly believe that one of the reasons why men's mental health is often, um, could be seen, I guess, as not, um, people don't seek intervention, men don't seek intervention as readily as women, is I think that we expect men to deal with difficult feelings on their own, whereas women are often encouraged to seek help. So, um, you know, I do have quite a large male caseload. Um, I look at a group of men who quite often have never spoken about their issues before, and yet for most of these men, their issues have stemmed from childhood and adolescence. So they've effectively been living their entire lives have not having spoken to a single soul, I think that's an issue. So are those men symptomatic? Yes, they've been symptomatic, which is why they've actually come for counselling. But the reality is, is that I think, you know, part of the risk is from from boyhood onwards, little boys, you know, no doubt we actually pay attention to boy babies the same way as we pay attention to girl babies. But from the moment those boys um, go into a social setting, so maybe at preschool, we have different reactions to when they're um, upset or distressed. So the anger angry boy, um, anger is fear, whichever way you look at it, anger is a defensive reaction. So the angry boy, we would label and say, he's such an angry kid, put him over there, give him a time out. Um, the girl, um, and I'm being, I am being gender, a, a little bit gen- gender generalist here. Yeah, well, it's not, but, it's not no, fucking, no, no, well, it's I'm, not yeah, sexist no, to look at the data no, and no, say, exactly. there's, ster- there's, um, there's commonalities. Yeah, yeah if we're doing yeah. some generalizations, um, but with girls, oftentimes when girls have fear, girls might cry, particularly little girls. Do you know what I mean? So if we're talking about preschool, kindy, first, second, you know, that kind of age. Um, and girls will, will sometimes cry. So what happens to a girl who cries? The teacher goes over, hugs her and says, it's okay. You can go and sit next to somebody else because that girl was mean to you, et cetera, et cetera. With little boys, um, and depending on what kind of family they, they grow up in and what is, is, is um, normalized by the parents, little boys will often get quite angry and they might kick the 
the other kid, you know, you've bullied me, I'm going to kick you, or you've upset me, I'm going to kick you. And straight away, what does the teacher do? You can't kick here. You can go for a timeout. So suddenly this same feeling that these two kids have had, that fear-based feeling, someone's hurt me, I'm upset, you've got two different expressions of that fear. And one, the boy is socialized to be angry. And I'm making some very vast generalizations here. But anyway, boys, you know, socialize a little bit, both by family, by school, possibly, um, to be angry, which is, you know, the, the best way of describing the defensive reaction, defensive meaning when you detect a threat, is to look at a dog. When a dog detects a threat, they will often bristle, their, the fur on their back will go up, they might growl, do you know, they stand rigid um, because they've detected a threat. Human beings are similar. When we detect a threat, we have a reaction, do you know. We, um, it can be a psychological threat, it can be a physical threat, we have a reaction. For men, men, generally speaking, are socialized that anger is a legitimate reaction to fear. Women are socialized that tears, distress, um, anxiety to some extent, although that's not the pure um, description, that wouldn't be a pure description, but that fearfulness is a legitimate reaction to fear. So we've got these two very different um, socially normalized or socially accepted, sorry, reactions. Herein, and this is my big, um, I suppose this is a very, very, um, something I feel very strongly about in terms of men, the, the, the mental health of men, herein lies some of the issue. You ask me, um, what, is a, what is a risk factor for the development of anxiety and depression in terms of clinical anxiety, clinical depression? I'm not talking about somebody who has anxious times and somebody who has depressed or low times. Yeah, I'm we're talking, talking about, about like periods yeah, of time. Peri where, yeah. Extended periods that really interrupt with life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it will be someone that simply has no way of expressing difficult emotion, difficult emotion that we all have. We all have fear. We all have distress. That is the way our brain is wired. Our brain is wired to, 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 to feel those. That is instinctively there. So, you know, we, we, we have distress, we have fear, we have disappointment, we have embarrassment, we have all of those terribly difficult emotions. And for me, one of the greatest risk factors is someone who simply has no way of um, venting is one word, but expressing, no way of expressing, no way of sharing, um, and who basically internalizes them. And the difficulty with internalization of feelings, we, we call it the, the pain paradox. When you have any, so pain being a sort of a generic for um, difficult emotions, um, you know, when you ignore pain, it simply rebounds back. It does not go away. It's a little bit like physical pain. You know, yeah. if you ignore psychological pain, pain being yeah, distress, just anger, just put a bandaid on it. It's exactly. Not gonna fix the problem. It will come back. And the difficulty, the great the reason why we call it the pain paradox is because it rebounds, I suppose, more intensely the second time around, do you know? So it is really, you have not got a, you haven't got an option. You have to pay attention. If you're upset about something, if you're disappointed, if you're humiliated, if you're, um, if you're distressed, if you're um, fearful, um, you know, absolutely the best thing you can do, you, do, you don't necessarily have to go to a therapist. But if there's somebody in your life that'll simply let you talk and let you put words to it, it's not actually what they say that matters. It's the fact that you're able to express and sit with what is effectively a terribly difficult feeling for you and the world doesn't fall apart. Remember, there's a difference between fear and danger. Danger is when you're in danger. Fear is when you have that elevated reaction to a feeling that you're having, but the feeling is not going to kill you. So being able to sit with it, being able to express it, being able to be with it in that moment is one one of the most therapeutically beneficial things you can do. So 
this is the issue. This is, I mean, long-winded way of saying that is one of the fundamental issues, I believe. The research, you know, there is research out there. Um, it's not a hugely researched area, but I believe that that's one of the greatest challenges for young men and older men as well. How do we, how do we create some kind of language around the expression of difficult emotion? How, who do I speak to that allows me to have that difficult emotion and doesn't tell me that I shouldn't be angry, shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't, that, you know, that I should be ashamed of myself for being so angry or should cop onto myself who can i talk to that just lets it be there do you know yeah that would that would be that would be my comment so you know the comment would be men in general um you know yes yes women yes women have difficulties around anxiety and depression i i think that there there there's probably different things going on there um but for men um that i think that's a really important thing Obviously, there's other things. There's traumatic experience, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but just in general, if we're talking about general stuff, anxiety, depression, in a general sense, um, men, you know, yeah, um, boys and men who don't have some way of expressing or putting words around those difficult feelings, um, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, not, it's not a healthy place for them. Yeah, so also something I wanted to sort of get into because, look, I'm not an anti-feminist or a feminist or I don't really take a... Um, a position on the whole thing, but sort of my um, my problem with is the mass media cherry picking what issues they want to talk about. So, for example, like you're a sexual assault counsellor, that's one of the things you specialise in. We're not going to go into that right now um, because that's another big topic. But obviously, if you have lived on planet Earth in the last few months, you'll have all heard about the you know the hashtag Me Too um, saga, I guess, in Hollywood. Um, but another, like, look, how many, obviously you work in the area, how many men's suicide things have you seen in the last five years? I guarantee probably about, I want to say 10% of the amount of me too stuff we saw in the last two months, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, and I'm not saying this as a man and I'm not being like an anti-feminist. I don't give a fuck who you are. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like as long as, you know, you're good to people and you do whatever you need to do properly and you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, treating people like crap. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you're a male, female, Mm -hmm. you know, transvestite. I don't give a fuck what you are. But the problem is, is it's like, I just feel like people cherry pick what we want to talk about and we cherry pick what gets, um, I guess, published, which is why I don't like mainstream media Mm -hmm. because let's, let's be honest, men like male suicide is like, especially look, I'm a, I'm a 19 year old white male from a somewhat privileged background. Like I can't talk to fucking any social justice warriors about having problems if I had any, because like, it'd be like, no, you're a white male who went to private school who lives in Australia, which is a first world country. You obviously don't have any problems talking about. Mm -hmm. So why is especially from your background, why is men's suicide such an Mm. under-researched topic in terms of Mm. in the mainstream media? Mm. Because, look, you might see an ad like every three months, Mm. but you couldn't, in terms of, I don't have much social media, but in terms of even just if I opened my news app on, on my iPhone... The amount, it would be probably 80% Me Too stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when that stuff broke. Would you know the greatest irony of all of this is that still, I believe, to this day, the vast majority of decisions around that Me Too, um, in terms of the reporting of it, I mean, was probably made by men. Do you know? So at the end of the day, oh. if we think about it, you know, there is, um, you know, there's a financial gain around some of the reporting of that. And I don't wish to be cynical, but that is the fact of the matter. Um, is there a financial 
financial gain around reporting men's suicide rates? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? Um, there, I think for me, one of the reasons, and listen, I've got, I actually have only got my own anecdotal um, and professional evidence to, to go on. It's 30 years worth. Right. Like 30 years yeah, worth. Right. So, so what I would say is I believe that to some extent, um, part of the reason why men's suicide isn't looked into more is that if we trace back um, many, many male suicides, we're tracing them back um, in terms of where, why that person has become suicidal. Um, we will often trace it back to things that happened earlier in that person's life um, that, quite frankly, I'll be straight up with you, has possibly been perpetrated by other men, mm. you know, given the fact that, unfortunately, in my area of work, the vast majority of sexual um, perpetrators are actually men. So there is a terribly uncomfortable space that men sit in, um, with some of them, um, a very small number being perpetrators, um, but the difficulty with sexual perpetrators is that they ordinarily have multiple victims so you can have um, far fewer perpetrators than there are victims if that makes sense so that you know male suicidality is often hugely um, related back to earlier experiences and many men who suicide have had earlier experiences of child sexual assault so do is that a is that a hot topic yes it is is that going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people yes it is however um, you know I suppose it's one of those areas, isn't it, where um, is it very reportable? If you can actually name and shame somebody, you can, but many people are too scared, even to this day, to reveal that they were sexually abused, let alone who saying who perpetrated it, do you know? Because men have so much shame around revealing this, particularly when their perpetrator was a male. That's for a whole other day, by the way, but it's just yeah. to say that there's a silencing um, that goes on. Men, you know... Most men still feel terribly, terribly ashamed of the fact that they were offended against, yeah. do you know, and that is very confronting. Um, so I guess until, um, you know, we ha we currently have, a, well, I just finished in actual fact the Royal Commission into, into Institutional Responses um, to Child Sexual Abuse, which has been a great platform for inviting men to actually give their stories about what happened to them when they were children um, in terms of what was perpetrated against them when they were um, involved in churches or schools early on in their life. Yeah. However, until we actually create a, an environment where men feel safe to reveal what happened to them, we are not going to be able to give those men the counselling that they need and they are not going to resolve some of those um, that, that pain that they have and that, um, that shame that they wrongly feel. It's not their shame. The perpetrator should carry that shame, not the victim. But either way, we're not going to resolve some of those really big picture issues in, in order to enable those men not to feel as though life's not worth living and that they are not worth it and that, that you know the world would be better off without them because they're they're you know um they're just a waste of space you know some of these really big picture issues so again it's that silencing again of men's pain yeah. this is all this is a really really big issue do you know yeah. and it's not spoken of unfortunately yeah so like, i just want to um we've been going for a pretty long time i think we might actually pause it in a moment but on to end on two facts to on two of my statements in response to that right there Firstly, uh, we've talked about this before. I still have no idea why the death penalty is not automatic for reoffending pedophiles. Like I literally, and this is controversial, but you guys know me. My mum knows me. I honestly don't give a fuck. I say what I do. Like I'll say whatever I want. Um, I don't understand why. You know, if Amnesty want to keep pedof pedophiles who, like, we'll talk about at some point in the future, who most of the time do reoffend. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know why the death penalty or, you know, literally like automatic life sentences. And I don't mean like Aussie life sentences is in 25 years. I mean, life sentences is in, you could be like the next fucking Yoda and live to 400 and you'd still be sitting in a jail cell. Do you know what I mean? And secondly, you know, this is a controversial statement, but fuck the Catholic church. Do you know what I mean? I don't care what anyone says. The fact that that many, you know, I was actually looking at this. There was a long ass article. Um, I don't know how trustworthy it was, but because it was on mainstream news site, but I was listening, I was reading it and just the, the extent of like the sexual assault in, um, schools and orphanages and boys homes in like the, the sixties and seventies and eighties is fucking insane. Do you know what I mean? Like I literally, um, I don't like, obviously unless you are someone who has been unfortunately like offended against, I can't as a, as a, a human male, like just as a human being in general, I can't comprehend the statistics. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. So like I said, fuck the Catholic church. It's not real. We'll talk about that later. There's not fucking real. Day. It's for another day, but you know, um, and if I can just jump in there, just probably from my perspective, unfortunately the Catholic church was probably the first to come under the, under fire. But oh, what, what, what we have, yeah. unfortunately, I should, is said, that I should have just said, fuck the church. The church. Yeah. Fuck the they're, church. They're, I mean, you know, um, and I'm making a general comment here, but where I sit and where, you know, where, where, you know, seeing, um, 30 plus people a week, unfortunately they're pretty much all in there. Um, and you know, and that's, that's a whole, that's for a whole other day, by and the just, way. But like, and for people to comprehend mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. think about how niche you are. Like we're, you know, you're one counselor, mm-hmm. one private practice mm-hmm. on the central coast of New South mm-hmm. Wales, Australia. And you have you, like that percentage of your client base was offended against by the, let's just say the church and institutionalized. Institutionalized. Yeah. yeah. It, like yeah. It's, it's crazy. We'll talk about it another day. Like we've said, like, I think we've said, we'll talk about it another day for like 10 different issues. Um, but do you guys, do you have any, um, you know, websites or, um, phone calls people can make if they're feeling down on themselves at any point in time? Okay. So, um, so what I would say for young people, so young people being 12 to 25 year olds, um, if you, if you feel like you want to access some information that might be helpful, reachout.com are a great, um, resource. They have a lot of fact sheets. They've got, um, forums. They've got a huge amount of information. It's all very readable, very accessible. They've got lots of different topics. Um, listen, if you're in acute crisis, um, you know, um, beyond blue, um, youth beyond blue, all of those kinds of, um, lines there, you know, Salvation Army, Lifeline, um, do you know, those, listen, Lifeline offers, um, you know, offers some counselling. Salvation Army also offers some counselling. They're 24-7. Um, you know, there's a couple of different, um, you know, a couple of different sources of acute care. Uh, and, and maybe next time we could sort of go into, or, you know, at another time we could maybe go into more specialist kind of support if people are wanting to access specific counselling yeah. um, for certain issues. Um, how to go about it, how to find the right person, what to ask for, what to look for, that kind of thing, do you know? Yeah. But reachout.com, that's obviously, I mean, even if you're a, if you're listening abroad, you know, um, it, that would still be something that would be accessible, do you know? Um, so, yeah, so check them out, um, 12 to 25-year-olds. So I'm sure that would pretty much fit everybody. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know. We do have a couple of international viewers who could be a bit older. But, um, but you know, we've been going for 42 minutes. Uh, we might actually record a second episode. I don't know. I need to pee, though. So um, I just want to thank my mum. AKA Rowena. You're welcome, you're welcome. AKA Ma. Pleasure. AKA the woman who raised me. 
<laughs> AKA, I've run out of AKAs. Um, but I want to thank you guys. I'll, like I say, this is probably the most important podcast I've done, to be honest. Um, in terms of actually attempting to help people and attempting to bring a bit of information um, to these sort of issues. Uh, So I hope you guys have enjoyed it and I'll catch you guys in the next one.